In August and September of 2020, delivery executives of Swiggy struck work in many Indian cities. Swiggy is an app-based food delivery service that operates in over 100 cities. In its latest round of financing, the company was valued at over 5.5 billion US dollars. 27 days strike chali aur first time jo hai Swiggy company ko jo hai Uh, the strike went on for 27 days and for the first time the swiggy company had to kneel before the joint commissioner of the labor department we had fruitful discussions that was the voice of sheikh salauddin the hyderabad based national general secretary of the indian federation of app based transport workers or ifat the other voice that you heard translating a summary of mr salauddin's words into english is that of the anthropologist jagat sohel in hyderabad in the southern indian state of telangana the delivery executives wanted to draw attention to the fact that in spite of the covid-19 pandemic and the steep increase in petrol prices swiggy had reduced what was known as the base component of the remuneration paid to the executives from rupees 35 to rupees 15 images of swiggy executives kneeling down on the streets of hyderabad were carried by several media outlets सिग्गी के अंदर जो पैंतीस रुपया देते थे बेस पे वो जो है पंद्रह रुपये को कर दी सिग्गी कंपनी जब हम लोग सब्जे ने इसके ऊपर स्ट्राइक करना बोल के स्टार्ट किया और वो जो स्ट्राइक थी स्विगी जब हम लोग स्टार्ट किए जब मूवमेंट चलाए तो 27 डेज जो है हमारे डिलीवरी बॉयज सिग्गी के फुल टाइम जो है काम नहीं किए और पार्टिसिपेट करे जब हम गवर्नमेंट के ऊपर प्रेशर डाला गया था गवर्नमेंट के जो लेबर ऑफिसर है जॉइंट कमिश्नर उन्होंने एक हायरिंग को बुलाया और उधर से ऊबर ऑपरेशन मैनेजर्स वगैरह सॉरी सिग्गी के ऑपरेशन मैनेजर्स उन लोग आए उधर से यूनियंस हम लोग जाके बैठ के बात करें Swiggy's operational managers spoke with us. They did not accept our demands completely, but did so to some extent. We held out for another three days, and the joint commissioner had told us that the union and the company had to arrive at an understanding. तो जब उतर के हम लोग ने जो हमारे डिमांड्स थे सारे निकाल के तीन चार डिमांड्स पे रखे थे उसमें जो है फाइनली अपार्ट फ्रॉम थ्री और फोर दे कंप्लाइड विद ऑल ऑफ आवर डिमांड्स ऑफ द रिमेनिंग दे सेड दैट देयर कंपनी वाज रनिंग एट अ लॉस एंड सो कुड नॉट हेल्प अस दिस वाज द फर्स्ट टाइम इन इंडिया दैट सच अ नेगोशिएशन हैड टेकन प्लेस विद सच अ कंपनी एंड इट हैपेंड इन हैदराबाद जो है कंपनीज को बुला के बातचीत करना डिलीवरी सेक्टर के अंदर जैसे कंपनीज को वो इंडिया में हैदराबाद के अंदर हुआ एंड नाउ यू विल हियर फ्रॉम विनय सारथी 
the Bengaluru-based president of the United Food Delivery Partners Union. In July of 2020, the union had approached the Labour Department of the state of Karnataka to compensate food delivery workers for the loss of their incomes during the COVID-19 pandemic. Last year, uh, during the pandemic, the pandemic just start, started. We approached the Labour Department and then uh, we uh, gave a memorandum uh, stating that uh, they should not reduce the incentives and such things. Uh, they, I mean, the Labour Department should insist upon the companies not to reduce the incentives and such things. So, and then we also demanded uh, the Labour Department to provide uh, some uh, uh, PPE kind of uh, things like the hand sanitizers, face shield, mask and such things. And uh, in Mysore, one of the districts in uh, Karnataka, uh, it's one of the major districts. So, in that place, uh, we organized the food delivery partners. We went and met the labor department uh, officials. There, we could uh, procure the uh, Zomato. They gave some uh, face shields and also this uh, protective uh, gears to the food delivery partners. Uh, even in Bangalore, we heard that uh, Swiggy and Zomato, both of them, uh, after we met the uh, government officials and submitted our memorandum, uh, we could uh, get to know from the food delivery partners that uh, they rolled out a scheme wherein uh, they will provide uh, the safety gas. Though in Swiggy, some people told that uh, they'll have to pay for it and buy for it and then uh, they'll uh, the company reimbursed for the, the things. So such things happened, we could uh, pressurize uh, the government. Uh, during this time lockdown, we had an online movement of the food delivery partners, uh, wherein we submitted a memorandum to the Chief Minister of Karnataka and also the uh, Labour Secretary and the Labour Commissioner. Uh, we demanded that uh, some sort of a relief package should be announced for the food delivery partners, because uh, taking into account uh, the risk they run, uh, because they go and meet so many different people. Also, when important thing that we have raised is uh, the business has been bad during the second wave. Uh, it has not been good. Uh, our food delivery partners, they'll have to wait for a very long time to get some orders. And even if they get orders, it would be, it would be long distance orders. So to make up the incentive, they'll have to wait for long. Also, the pure prices have gone up. So that way, they have been uh, running under risk. And also, they work for... Uh, Quite a few days, uh, the happening would be that good. So we also demanded for the release package. Now we are demanding for the uh, ration kits. This is how it has been going. That was Vinay Sarathi, the president of the United Food Delivery Partners Union. During the COVID-19 pandemic and the lockdowns in various parts of India, delivery executives and app-based transport workers bore a high risk of infection. Apart from advocating for more effective social security to soften the blow from loss of incomes during this period, both Mr. Sarathi and Mr. Salaudin have been working to reduce this risk. Uh, this week, actually, uh, we were trying to procure some ration kits that is being provided uh, for the migrant labourers. Uh, there are some migrant labourers even in this uh, uh, food delivery partners field. So, we were trying to approach uh, labor department and uh, procure some uh, ration kits. 
so that it would help some uh, food delivery partners pehli baat to government ko jo hai continuously chahe wo social media ho electronic media ho print media ho theek hai we have to continuously apply pressure on the government whether it is through letters or emails or on electronic media social media or the print media ki ha ye log ko vaccine zarurat hai क्योंकि हैदराबाद तेलंगाना के अंदर 600 प्लस ड्राइवर्स को कोविड पॉजिटिव हुआ है और 10 गवर्नमेंट फाइनली रियलाइज इट वाज इंपॉर्टेंट वैक्सीनेट दिस वर्कर्स बिकॉज़ इन हैदराबाद एंड तेलंगाना अलोन मोर देन 600 ड्राइवर्स टेस्टेड पॉजिटिव फॉर कोविड कोविड के पॉजिटिव की वजह से सफर हो रहे आज वो सफर नहीं होते थे हमारे सीएम साहब की बात ये है कि हम बीमारी को पहला फैलाने वाले हैं ठीक है स्प्रिट करने वाले हैं इफ द गवर्नमेंट हैड टेकन दिस डिसीजन अर्लियर दोस लाइव्स मे हैव बीन सेव्ड एंड द सफरिंग कुड हैव बीन रिड्यूस्ड व्हाट आवर चीफ मिनिस्टर सेज इज दैट वी आर द वंस हु स्प्रेड डिजीज द प्राइम मिनिस्टर कॉल्स अस फ्रंटलाइन वर्कर्स आई वांट टू आस्क बोथ नरेंद्र मोदी साहब एंड केसीआर साहब हैज अ डेथ इंश्योरेंस अमाउंट बीन पेड आउट येट टू द रिलेटिव्स ऑफ दोस हु हैव डाइड जो डेथ इंश्योरेंस था वो इंश्योरेंस मिला क्या आज तक या या वी ट्राई टू मीट द लेबर कमिश्नर एंड द डिविजनल डिप्टी लेबर कमिश्नर हु इज इन चार्ज ऑफ दिस सच पीपल द रिस्पांस हैज बीन वार्म एंड गुड बट एज यू नो देयर आर सम ब्यूरोक्रेट आई मीन सम ब्यूरोक्रेटिक हर्डल्स मे कम इन वे बट देयर um they mean i mean uh, the labor department has been cooperative uh, with us so we are trying to uh, trying to procure some so that it uh, it will help the needy uh, people You're listening to the Nagrik podcast. My name is Ajoo John and on this podcast we learn together to become better at public life. In the previous episode of this podcast, we learned about what the ongoing campaign for a just and equitable COVID-19 vaccination program can learn from the global campaign that delivered significantly cheaper medicines during the AIDS crisis. Before that, We learned about the global boycott of South African sport during the apartheid years, the Mahat Satyagraha led by B R Ambedkar, R B Morey, and their associates, the campaign for ILO Convention 177, the struggle to save the Niamgiri Hills of Orissa from extractive mining, the Chipko movement, and how some remarkable lawyers are providing legal services to the survivors of communal violence in India. This podcast. is available on all major podcasting platforms all you have to do is to go to spotify apple podcasts stitcher 
Podbean, or Google Podcasts and search for Nagrik Podcasts. When you find our feed, you will find these older episodes as well. If you then subscribe to the feed, you will also get to know when we release a new episode. The emergence of the gig or platform economy during the past decade has transformed the world of work in many sectors. Most visibly, location-based apps have transformed how people access location-specific work such as driving, delivery, domestic work, and beauty services. Another category of work known as cloud work refers to short-duration jobs that could be performed from anywhere with an internet connection. You're now going to hear from Sadhana Sanjay from the Bangalore-based IT for Change, an NGO that works for a society in which digital technologies contribute to human rights, social justice, and equity. One part of my research that I'm very uh, interested in and what I'm uh, examining currently is how the intersections of gig and platform technology work with um, pre-existing labor market conditions in India, which as we know is characterized by um, high levels of informality. So I think that it's really important to keep this context in mind because the research on the subject can sometimes adopt totalizing vocabulary where um, it's seen through the prism of um, distorting formal employment relationships. That's the dominant narrative and that very much suits uh, countries in the global north, which is the transformation that they are seeing, how gig and platform works have disrupted industrialized formal labor market dynamics. But in a country like India and um, for other developing countries as well, this is not really the case. So it's not so much as a transformation from a formal economy to now more informal and splintered fragmented work agreements, but more how it has transformed existing conditions of informality and what are the pathways that we see out of informal work and into platform work. There are also arguments that say that um, gig and platform work has actually succeeded in um, formalizing tendencies in the Indian economy. So let's uh, study this with uh, the help of certain examples. Uh, I think a good example is domestic work and I'm sure CIS has done excellent work uh, on this subject. I'm familiar with their research and that also demonstrates how um, something that was hitherto governed by informal networks, something like domestic work, has now adopted a veneer, a sheen of formality by being mediated now through um, applications and technology interfaces. Uh, another example is ride hailing. I mean, the networks governing ride hailing and just transport in India were also informal for a really long time, but the entrance of ride hailing platform aggregators has once again transformed this sector. So I think that when we talk about the history of gig and platform work in India, it's really important to understand how they have transformed existing informal labor markets and therefore what are the consequences for workers in, in these markets. So um, I would caution against using the term gig and platform work um, uh, in a totalizing manner to show that they all have a uniform experience because I don't think that's the case. I think that um, the case is we are now seeing that they are having common interest, but their conditions continue to be dictated to some extent by pre-existing conditions of informality that uh, have plagued their existing sectors.
A significant majority of work in India, more than 90% of it by some accounts, is performed through informal means of employment. This means that the work is done without a written contract, paid leave, health benefits or social security. Broadly speaking, informal workers do not benefit from the protections of labor law. Domestic work, that is, the work of cleaning homes and cooking meals in homes, is almost entirely informal. The claim made on behalf of technology platforms that have mediated domestic work during the last decade was that they would increase transparency and as a result, wages and working conditions. You'll now hear from Ayush Rathi from the Bangalore-based Center for Internet and Society. He was part of a research team that recently published its report on the platformization of domestic work in India. This project was led by CIS along with the Bengaluru-based Domestic Workers' Rights Union. So, uh, within, uh, within the domestic work sector, we find one, one uh, like an early thing, uh, like a thing to sort of mention right at the outset here is that the, the kind of on-demand model that has grown to be synonymous with the platform economy, like the Uber model, is not the only kind of model in which uh, platforms are sort of operating. So there are three distinct kinds of models that we find out and uh, it, it very briefly, they operate on a spectrum of uh, the kind of intervention that they have in setting the uh, uh, in establishing the work relationship. So on the one hand are what we call marketplace platforms. So these are uh, best understood as virtual job boards. So they are in the business of databasing. They'll collect thousand hundreds and thousands of workers data um, sorted according to some of their preset filters and uh, are in, and then I as a customer could then get access to a part of that database based on the conditions that based on the filters that I want so this could be geography takes the shape of uh, religion age and then in one case even that of caste the in in between is what we call digital placement agencies and these are these function in uh, i mean their operations are in many ways similar to that of traditional placement agencies though they are not as notorious for uh, uh, for trafficking and sort of improper uh, and illegal labor practices but they operate some uh, they work in similar ways where they would handhold i mean they handhold workers till the point of uh, getting a job and also being there for grievance addressal during the course of their work and so on. So these, uh, then they play sort of a more uh, handholding slash guiding slash mentoring kind of a role in in how in what in wage negotiations in leave negotiations and so on. And the third category is the most familiar one that is of the on-demand model, which is uh, which is which sort of which sort of uh, is so different from how domestic work has been organized historically, right? So it's domestic work typically has been premised on long-term uh, long arrangements, but on-demand models are about the short gigs, one-time gigs that, uh, um, uh, that domestic workers are being placed into. But notwithstanding, I think recently we have begun to see some activity that suggests that gig and platform works have emerged as a class of their own. I think the recent labor law reforms um, kind of suggest this very thing. Um, the only 
there are four labor codes that have now been proposed and adopted. And the only one that mentions gig and platform work or recognizes this new form of work is the code on social security. So once again, the anchor around which the discourse on gig and platform work revolves is the absence of social security and formal protection and what the law can do to remedy that. So I think now, because we understand that there is a new kind of work that is governed by technology, data, algorithms, and the new kinds of precarity, vulnerability, and needs that this forms for workers um, has kind of led to us uh, seeing gig and platform works as a constituency in their own right um, with they continue to share struggles with their brethren who from their pre-existing labor markets who may not now also be using technology, but definitely as a class due to technology, they have emerged uh, to have certain common interests and rights. Another claim that is made on behalf of such platforms is that they allow businesses to access a large workforce with varied skills. This workforce includes women, persons with disabilities, young people, and others who are otherwise marginalized in traditional labor markets. You will now hear from Aditi Suri, a sociologist and consultant with the Indian Institute of Human Settlements, whose research explores digital labor platforms. So, you know, platform work offers different things to different kinds of people. It's actually quite difficult to um, pinpoint um, the commonalities between all the companies that, you know, offer platform mediated work. Of course, the, there's a role of a platform in mediating, you know, the kind of working conditions that people get, but the way wages are structured, the way, you know, time is allocated, the way um, evaluations are done vary quite a bit. So different kinds of workers find different kinds of platforms very attractive. So coming back to the mobility space, um, the, the mobility space, uh, especially within taxi transport, attracts a certain kind of uh, worker that wants, um, that has the ability to purchase certain assets, uh, but their labor market mobility is probably, uh, is restricted by their education, for example. Um, with the online job boards or the cloud work platforms as they're called, uh, the evidence coming out now from research, including my own, is that there are a lot of ways in which uh, women who are educated, uh, who are willing to work part-time, do find the ability to do that from these job boards. Uh, so we're finding that, you know, what we kind of thought of as the BPO worker earlier uh, is not actually working in the BPO now, but they're able to work from home and work through these online job boards. Um, and given that, you know, there are these factors of our labor market where we know that there, there are significant gaps between uh, the kind of education people are given and the kind of jobs they aspire to. I think a lot of people find these platform jobs uh, quite transient and good for uh, the ability to earn while they're making other moves in the labor market, right? And actually, I think this is quite um, quite true for both kinds of platform work I'm talking about. Uh, so for the mobility sector, uh, you have people who don't want to do platform work full time. Uh, they get tied into it through these big financial dependencies of having to buy cars. Uh, but the, those dependencies tend to be about four to six to seven years. Um, and they have a quite clear 
uh, idea of wanting to do something else with their lives. Similarly, for cloudwork platforms, it um, it kind of offers uh, a middle path to to finding better work. Um, and this, of course, I'm talking about as a perception of workers, right? Now that the realities of the labor market might actually force them to stay within these platform jobs for much longer than anticipated. But within the imagination of people who are doing this work, even if they're working full-time on platforms and not doing part-time work, uh, it's never seen as um, the aspirational job uh, in that sense, the, the kind of end point of your career in a way. So platformization, simply put, was new. I mean, the first sort of point of uh, engagement with all of the uh, with all of the collectives, including DWRU, was uh, to sort of reinforce the need to be looking at these things, uh, lo looking at the questions around platformization and its implications on domestic workers, livelihoods, and sort of employment opportunities and uh, and for them to be able to see meaning and meaning in doing this kind of work or even engaging in, in engaging with this work and i think from then which was about like mid 2018 to today i think there has been um at least we a significant sort of development in how uh, uh, in how this is come to become like an important sort of agenda item. And that is also emerging due to the pandemic. Some of these developments have been accelerated due to, uh, to COVID-19 and the restrictions um, uh, that were imposed. So what we're seeing across sort of the platform economy is a rise in consumption through digital platforms as being looked at as uh, sort of more sanitized, uh, professional uh, and so on and i think this is uh, i think there's a growing recognition of 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 why this is something that we need to be ahead of the curve of um so there are different ways in which a digital platform has been used to transform the world of work uh, so in some cases uh, you know given the kind of hold of popular culture some of these technology companies have had like uber and ola with, they're kind of synonymous with this kind of technology sector, but there are many different kinds of platforms. But let me start by talking about these. So uh, within the services sector, within services that are geographically tethered, which is they are exchanged based on some kind of movement around the city or movement across the country or movement across a, you know, a unit of space. Um, within that share of services, of course, transport has um, found a lot of kind of uh, platform input, uh, but equally, uh, you know, in India, the home services uh, space uh, and the delivery space in general has. And there are a number of reasons why in India this has taken um, such a large role. Uh, one is that driving as a skill is something that's very easy to attain. And driving as a skill is something that people for generations have used as a mode to actually migrate or find some mobility within uh, the rural to urban continuum, right? So when people think of leaving a, um, their villages or the small towns they're living in to find a job in a city, driving is a very attainable skill. So we have a lot of people in this country for whom that becomes a way to create, um, to earn wages. Uh, so technology companies like Uber, Ola, 
Rapido, etc., have been able to pick up on this trend and create, you know, a large kind of um, a large demand for services and a large workforce that can deliver those services. Um, and those are, of course, the kind of intermediate intermediate uh, forms of travel and mobility. But equally, uh, you know, logistics companies uh, that do uh, the movement of goods uh, between a, uh, uh, within a city, but also for e-commerce companies, uh, for several different kinds of companies, they this sector has also started to employ a lot of people, um, much like within the Uber and Ola space. They don't have exactly the same working conditions, but they often use similar kinds of technology to kind of automate and algorithm, algorithmize um, the work of logistics. So those are two very important kinds of sectors when we look at platform work. Um, there are you know, different kinds of platform work, like I said before. So there's a whole universe of platform work, platform mediated work that's taking place um, on online job boards. Um, and typically these job boards work in different ways. Some of course matching services, like we know about you know, something like LinkedIn or versions of something like LinkedIn. Uh, but equally, there are places where workers can create profiles, can bid for certain tasks, um, such as data entry work, data labeling work, um, to you know, much more skilled work like uh, creating uh, software, uh, doing design work for the technology company. A lot of these tasks and that can be transacted through the internet. Um, and that's a whole world of work uh, that I find people know much less about. Um, but this is starting to, you know, uh, employ more and more people. And we already know that there are a number of graduates in this country that are un underemployed and unemployed. Um, and for those people, you know, for those people who are not willing to do the work, uh, like driving or delivery work, um, a lot of them are actually starting to move on to these online job boards to find work. You're listening to Aditi Suri on the Nagrik podcast. The other experts on this episode are Aish Rathi, Sadhana Sanjay, Vinay Sarathi, and Sheikh Salauddin. Nagrik Podcasts are a part of Nagrik Open Civic Learning, a project to radically reduce the cost of learning to participate in public life. The knowledge of public institutions and the skills and attitudes to use that knowledge can empower even the most marginalized people. Towards that end, Nagrik makes quality learning materials and releases them into the public domain. Our most recent course explores the route to a world where Indian women can become more equal participants in the economy, earn fair wages, and have social security. Our free videos feature experts such as Renana Jabwala of the Self-Employed Women's Association, Martha Chen of WeGo, and Stephanie Barrientos of the Global Development Institute. You can access that course now on www.nagriklearning.com. That is nagriklearning.com. One of the issues that is at the center of the global conversation on the gig and platform economy is how platforms have avoided any obligations under labor laws. As a result of the characterization of the workers who perform services using these platforms on a daily basis as entrepreneurs or freelancers instead of as employees, platforms are able to shift much of the risk of business to these workers. Platforms, however, have claimed that people are able to access through them work that is better than what would otherwise be available to them under less rigid arrangements. When we measure the quality of any work, 
we look at whether it delivers a fair income, security in the workplace and social protection for families, better prospects for personal development and social integration, freedom for people to express their concerns, organize and participate in the decisions that affect their lives, and equality of opportunity and treatment for all women and men. How does gig and platform work in India measure up on these parameters? We hear from Sadhana Sanjay, Aishrathi and Aditi Suri. Um, I think that the reason why uh, uh, we continue to use the terms of formal employment relationships is because even in India, this is the portal through which a lot of workers access formal labor protection and the and subject their employers to the ob consequent obligations that arise on them. But this is largely inaccessible to the Indian informal labor market and consequently also for platform workers. So I would certainly argue that the traditional prisms of fair wages, of the right to collectively bargain and organize, um, of occupational safety uh, and working condi conditions in addition to social protection, continue to remain uh, relevant for platform workers. So uh, I would argue that yes, this is of utmost importance to them as a constituency. But in addition to this, I think a new angle that we must consider when talking about gig and platform workers and platform work especially is the angle of data rights. So I think this is the additional prism through which all of the other prisms that you mentioned must be filtered because data is what is the logic of accumulation in the platform economy today and it is what disciplines workers it is what monitors them it is what surveils them so we now see that a lot of workplace decisions and managerial decisions that would be the domain of a human would be the domain of your immediate supervisor and therefore you could trace accountability to any decision that was made regarding your work has now become impossible because everything is governed by the algorithm everything is governed by the code and this code remains inscrutable to workers the data that feeds this code is produced by workers it is their data it is their laboring data that feeds this algorithm but yet they have little access over it and little ability to scrutinize the decisions that are made on the basis of it so um let's take the uh, prism of fair wages for example the wages are also calculated by the algorithm all of it is determined by the algorithm even surge pricing for example is dictated by the algorithm but Workers have no way of knowing if the wages that they receive or the fare that they receive is fair or not, simply because they don't have the data to be able to make that assessment for themselves. So this is just an example of how uh, the intersections of data with traditional labor rights comes to the forefront and why we should be uh, looking at workers' rights in the platform economy through the prism of data and using that to assess all the other metrics that, of course, continue to remain extremely relevant for platform workers as well, in addition to traditional labor constituencies. To begin with, I think uh, many of the platforms, if not all, uh, that have emerged do promise formalization. They, their, their pitch is pretty straightforward, which is that this has been a highly informal informal sector for for years and we are here to change that and simply put that's 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 not happening i mean so so i think the yes i mean i think when it comes the corporatized narrative of formalization is is a i mean is a very specific and different 
sort of articulation of formalization than what we would like it to be or what even um, workers collectives and trade unions would like it to be so i mean formalization that has that the platforms claim to be often is limited to a uh, a customer first kind of approach where if it's easier for me as a customer to find a domestic worker to come and work at my house then uh, just it being easier makes it a more formalized industry that is that is the one kind of uh, one kind of definition and uh, and vice versa they would claim that it's easier for domestic workers to find work through platforms as well we uh, on one account perhaps it's true that customers may find it easier to find domestic workers through platforms but on the other the other part of it that domestic workers would have that same ease of access and uh, uh, same ease in accessing employment opportunities that's simply not true because one of again the early findings during doing uh, during the period was that there is a large number of people who have been uh, registered on platforms or as they call it onboarded but have never gotten any work so there is uh, so in terms of what they call mediating demand and supply we find that there's often an excess there's often an enormous uh, surplus of supply that exists so there is uh, domestic workers often in the dark about whether they will ever receive work from platforms and many did wait patiently but then then also i mean sort of use it as one of many ways in which they may find work so kinship networks which is how domestic workers have historically gotten work in urban centers is still predominantly how how they receive work so that is so that is one part of the formalization narrative the other part of the formalization narrative is 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 entirely digital which is that and it it is in keeping with some of the sort of policy conceptualizations that is happening both in india and across the world which is that uh digitized labor systems equal formal formalized labor systems but that's that's also not true often uh we we found that uh we we found that like being involved in digital transactions and uh having access to workers data or data about them is 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 essentially what the purpose of this digitization is but it's not really that of formalization so no benefits that we typically associate with formalization that is of secure work that is of like a minimum uh minimum living wage um that is of less precarious livelihoods none of those accrue to domestic workers none of the rights that would you would associate with traditional formal employment um uh, ever accrue to domestic workers either within the even either outside of the platform economy or very much within it and there is uh while some platforms did express that they do want workers to enter into contracts with uh with employers and that is what they would limit their understanding of formalization to but none i uh, none of the platforms promised any uh, were able to grant any kind of social security protections were able to guarantee work were able to guarantee uh, a new work in case there were i mean in case some pre- pre- prior previous work was to be uh, truncated so uh, so yeah so the um 
so what is also fascinating generally about the platform economy space is particularly with regard to like uh, physical labor platforms is that they enter into already informal spaces of work and which is uh, ac- across all of these right even delivery work driving work domestic work and like a range of other platforms that we come across are largely uh, entering into informal workspaces with the promise of formalizing them but are only furthering a very specific understanding of formalization that they that that is beneficial to platform companies and not, and those benefits don't sort of um uh, are, are never passed down to workers so the kind of extractive business models uh, that are associated with the informal economy do replicate and are even amplified in 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 many cases within the platform economy space so yeah i mean long story short the formalization rhetoric is uh, is is entirely misleading and perhaps that is a strategic um sort of discursive tool that platforms are using to gain some kind of regulatory uh, forbearance or some kind of policy forbearance in terms of um uh, in terms of you know sort of uh, yeah creating creating better jobs creating more employment creating more formal employment but that's um, that's that's simply not true the research in this area is still new it is still nascent for me to be able to make um uh, an assessment in in a very confident manner of which provides better working conditions for a worker is it the platform economy route or is it not i think that a lot of workers are beginning to find that the introduction of platform aggregators as non negotiable to accessing um, work for example taxi drivers have begun to realize the inevitability of uber and its capture over urban commute for example so um the use of this technology becomes extremely crucial for these workers and um there is some research to suggest also that um there are pathways to wealth creation uh, formal protection income security in the platform economy um out of the informal economy that i can uh, share these resources with you over email as well and uh, that is true but it also spawns new forms of precarity it also spawns new forms of vulnerability in that um assigning employer accountability of any kind becomes extremely difficult in the platform economy because platform aggregators absolve themselves completely of any accountability whatsoever by classifying their workers as independent contractors and this is in essence legal fiction because the workers as i've explained before are not really independent because the algorithm continues to dictate a lot of their uh, a lot of their work conditions for example so what we have is a situation in which workers are purportedly independent and this is touted as one of the great benefits of the platform economy um so they are in essence compelled to bear all the risks of entrepreneurship and independence um such as the maintenance of their vehicles such as fuel all of these things that a independent contractor and entrepreneur would ordinarily assume the risks for the workers in the platform economy are also compelled to assume but with the flip side that they don't usually enjoy the autonomy that an actually independent contractor or an entrepreneur would traditionally enjoy uh, their decisions are not their own because they don't have full information so uh, an uber driver will not know before he accepts or rejects a ride 
where the destination is, um, how much it could possibly cost him. And with this information out of reach, it becomes uh, difficult for workers to make informed workplace decisions. So that's the rock and the hard place in which um, workers in the platform economy are caught. And that's the new kind of precarity and vulnerability that the platform economy is instigating. So I wouldn't necessarily say that one is better or worse. There is a wealth of literature on working conditions in the traditional informal economy that I think we as researchers of the platform economy in the years going ahead must necessarily engage with in order to arrive at a more well-rounded picture of um, what worker being what, what worker well-being in the platform economy actually looks like. And that and from there we can construct a role for the state and a role for platform companies as well. Uh, one of the sort of most heated and active debates happening that that is happening within researchers, policymakers, uh, happening in courtrooms um, across the world is that of the employment status of platform workers, right? So there is the I mean whether they are workers, whether they are independent contractors, and that is that that continues to be a very lively and active debate right now. And for me, it's fairly clear. The uh, for me personally, it's uh, work. Uh, they are employees and workers of platforms that and platforms are all in the business of uh, labor law arbitrage at this point by misclassifying uh, workers as, as independent contractors to be able to preclude them from uh, the kind of benefits that we that we are talking about our uh, paradigms of decent work um, and good work uh, tend to you know, situate themselves from formal industrial work. So the conditions afforded and restricted by black, uh, by factory work, for example, you know, where there is a place of work where there are certain um, physical conditions that uh, are recognizable that, you know, relate to occupational health and safety, et cetera, and to the risks of work. From what I've found from my primary research with hundreds of uh, on-demand platform workers in the food delivery, mobility, and um, home services space is that many of them lacked uh, the ability to find formal jobs before um, you know, coming onto these platforms. Um, and that is something I think I've had to um, really think about uh, in, in the terms of you know, how, how do you make the the moral kind of um, the moral point about what this platform work offers them and doesn't offer them. Uh, so, for the work, for, from the perspective of, of these workers who are doing this kind of work, um, their ideas of what uh, income uh, of what different kinds of security they, they need in life is, is quite variable than I think what we understand as formal employment. Uh, so most often people will go to the higher wage um, and the wages that they accrue are, are actually don't offer them too much in terms of, um, of ESIC and PF benefits. So uh, in that sense, workers do see platforms as a kind of a better option. Uh, so I gave this example of, you know, people migrating from villages to cities, right? So uh, in my own research in Bangalore, I found that uh, people who were coming from the outskirts of Karnataka uh, to do this, uh, to do to work in Bangalore, found that Uber and Ola offered them a plug and play labor market where they could kind of come into the city on for a bit and leave, right? And 
this had a value for them because uh, job searching before that uh, for people who would have other worked in, otherwise worked in the informal sector uh, took the form of relying on social relationships on networks of communities you know of caste language of your of your um, of your family etc uh, and so for people who wanted to uh, not settle in cities but to come on for a few months and go back uh, a lot of these were agricultural households uh, that that uh, people were leaving from um, they found this kind of work to be quite useful uh, which earned them uh, some kind of you know a stable wage and by stable i mean that there was an option to find work and to earn work every day versus having to find work every day right um, and so in that sense, there are all these uh, different ways in which people have been able to utilize the value of platforms in their lives. Uh, while, of course, there are a lot of platforms do fail um, the definitions of formal employment or the responsibilities that employers ought to have. Uh, but nonetheless, workers have found a way to kind of make use of the, the jobs and work offered by platforms because of the ways in which jobs have otherwise been uh, made available to them in the labor market. The reality is that informal work is the norm, especially, uh, I mean, definitely in India, and this is the case in most uh, global South countries, right? So, and what legal frameworks do is treat formal work as the norm, and that is where the contradiction lies, right? So where... Uh, legal frameworks are catering to in 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 India's case about like ten percent or less than its workforce. So there is this big inherent contradiction in what is treated as uh, the normative way of working in 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 southern economies. And this is and it is within informal work economies that I would situate platform work as well. It's not some new distinct kind of work. Uh, that is happening of course there are some new tools in which uh, through which this work is being mediated and digitization does pose its own unique challenges but it's very much uh, very much informalized work and and because um and and we certainly need to puncture the notion that it is uh, on a continuum of formal and informal work it is not moving towards formal work so that is uh, so that so that uh, uh, yeah so that is that is one thing so now when we look at uh, when we look at sort of welfare schemes in general and this is where i would like to sort of bring in labor um, labor frameworks labor protections and so on as very much sort of a well, uh, um, a, a way to govern welfare because most much of our welfare is also i mean at least until maybe 10, 15, maybe 15, 20 years back was very much tied to employment status. And um, things like PAF, ASI, those were, those were only available to you, accessible to you when you were in formal work. And um, again, so when most people are not in formal work, so one thing that, that, that changed was uh, increasingly people are thinking of sort of decoupling uh, employment status with social protection access and we see that a lot particularly with respect to some of the welfare schemes that are targeted towards women now they have their own separate challenges but that aside so there is some thinking around that which is like a gendered focus on how uh, sort of 
women typically women's labor force participation is abysmally low uh, in the indian context so you cannot be tying social so, social security protections to employment status so uh, just sort of amplifying that amplifying that thinking if with 90% of our workforce in informal work arrangements it makes no sense to continue to tie it to uh, tied to employment status and that needs to fundamentally change so women's conditions in the informal economy have continued to dictate to a large extent the kind of work that is accessible to them in the platform economy um when the platform economy emerged uh, not just in india but around the world as well um the flexibility that it offers workers you know in that okay you can log on now you can log off later if you don't want to come come in today there's no manager that you have to call to say okay i can't come in today it is completely your prerogative and the ability of workers to make these decisions and exercise this kind of autonomy was touted as an enormous enabler for women's workforce participation and as we know that women continue to perform a huge and disproportionate amount of unpaid care work in their homes and this flexibility was um uh, the, the avenues that of economic participation that flexibility would offer them was seen as one of the great benefits of platform work um it remains to be seen exactly how this will play out but our research tells us that um patriarchal norms continue to exercise control over the kinds of work that women are able to access in the platform economy for example i referred uh, uh, to the to a study that we did earlier of women micro workers in india um these women were all located in south india they were uh, extremely well qualified uh, they had technical degrees um, but uh, they faced uh, trouble in accessing jobs in the real economy offline for several reasons um some cited that the lack of uh, adequate and safe public transport prevented her from commuting and therefore she needed a job that she could do in the from the safety of her own home others uh, note that their families express discomfort with them doing any kind of job that requires them to work outside of the home but are extremely content to let them earn Uh, from within the confines of the household itself so this is a certain kind of platform work that emerges as attractive for women who are qualified to uh, who are extremely qualified but continue to negotiate uh, patriarchal norms uh, and that continues to ex- uh, have an effect on the kind of labor market opportunities that are accessible to them despite the claims that technology will emerge as a great equalizer it has in fact not emerged as such um we also see that occupational segregation is another trend that has followed women into the platform economy as well we see that care work domestic work duty work continued to be performed disproportionately by women whereas uh, more masculinized professions such as driving for example uber um continue to be dominated by men so these trends of occupational segregation plague women also in the platform economy showing that the platform economy despite being grounded in technology does not exist merely in a virtual space it is very much tethered to real economic conditions but also real world norms of patriarchy and um, gender equality um this is also complicated some more when we consider that women even if they work in the platform economy continue to do unpaid care work so they are in effect 
constantly uh, juggling both and platform work emerges as an alternative where women can continue to shoulder uh, care burdens and also contribute to household income and when this intersects with the rollback of the welfare state it produces an especially precarious and unwelcome condition for women uh, women also face barriers to entry for example there are some women uh, who work on uber and we had the opportunity to speak to some of them during our research and they all report um having to overcome a lot of stigma as a woman uh, in a male dominated field of uh, ride hailing um uber sometimes is reluctant to give cars on lease to these women who want to drive whereas they are more than happy to tether men to them through the use of leased cars so we see that certain barriers to entry operate more for women than men even in the platform economy and this is something that we should be mindful of lastly um the algorithm as i mentioned before may not be actively engineered to discriminate against women but a lack of gender sensitivity in the algorithm means that women are penalized nonetheless um for example because of how the platform work intersects with other aspects of women's lives um an example of this is a woman a uber driver that we spoke to some months ago and she reported that she is unable to take advantage of surge pricing because those are precisely the hours where she is required at home to help her kids to help her family and she is unable to be out working at that time um if she is driving late at night there is no option for her to exercise some right to self preservation by requesting only a, a woman passenger or requesting the shortest route back home for example so like i said the algorithm is not actively engineered to produce these unwelcome um, situations for women but not accounting for gender by not accounting for gendered sensitivities the algorithm inevitably produces these kind of outcomes that women are compelled to negotiate so i think uh this is a flavor of uh, what are the concerns for women uh, in the platform economy and um we'll know more as uh, workplace as work participation for women in the sector grows and we're able to scrutinize the kind of working conditions that are available to them like looking at platform work as a new category is 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 not helpful because that add because it adds to the uh, it further complicates locating the legal status of uh, of workers and not for us as outsiders but for workers themselves and um, in this sort of constant battle between regulation and sort of what goes what goes as technological or counts for technological innovation today it is it has been well established not just within the space of labor but in like in all other spheres is that law is often slower to move it's usually reactive so the so to me the to the one way in which you know uh law can get ahead of the curve in both when it comes to platform work and it can be reasonably assumed that uh the trajectory that we are on in terms of like work becoming more piecemeal becoming more distributed uh, globalized uh, more informal with the what has been called the fissured workplace these uh, these kind of work arrangements are here to sort of stay and sort of grow into maybe worse forms of themselves if nothing were to do, were, were to be done about it so for me the one way to uh, legal for for legal frameworks and policy frameworks to get ahead of this curve is to be able to universe 
is to universalize the kind of uh, un- universalize welfare uh, welfare provision with and uh, and needn't and, and to not obsess over the sort of very particular uh, legal classifications of of workers or independent contractors and so on and often law itself is not where the um, uh where this kind of classification happens but it is in the interpretation by courtrooms where this where this happens so and that itself is a, again another long drawn process and uh, which often takes years so uh, so i think yeah to be able to sort of look at the kind of equitable society that we want to be living in i think to be able to achieve that i think it's 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 absolutely sort of pertinent to be able to um yeah you universalized labor protections and other associated yeah uh, social protection schemes over the last 5 6 years my you know i've been doing primary research on this for about 6 years so over the last 6 years people's understanding of the world of platform work has changed a lot so i think initially uh, we heard a lot about people being unhappy with wages being cut right there was a period in which uber and ola were throwing large incentives at people um and then those incentives started to wane um and there were a lot of there's a lot of discontent around that um while somewhat the wages did stabilize uh, at a point you know covid came and changed that uh, to a large extent where uh, now the kind of uh, technology behind these platforms is actually being used to surveil workers much more than they were being before and uh, i've seen that workers are far more um aware of the ways in which they are you know activated or deactivated on platforms where small uh, missteps actually lead to them being uh, you know taken out of the labor market so in that sense uh, that evolution of knowledge has also been very important because uh, the platform also has evolved um but a lot of these concerns that i'm talking about that that platform workers have had have been specific to the mobility sector if we look at um uh the food delivery space for example uh, there have been uh, a lot of ways in which food delivery companies have classified different kinds of platform workers on their platforms uh, so there isn't a unified labor market in that sense but different people are offered different kinds of work packages um and there's a lot of opaqueness around what these work packages entail you know the kind of evaluations you have to have as a platform worker to be able to be in some of the higher rungs where you you know get more tasks and earn more money so i think more and more the discontents are starting to form around the opaqueness of the algorithmic systems that manage you know the relationship between the platform firm and the workforce um of course there are specific discontents that are sector specific right that uh, workers have so within home services for example um workers have a lot of um there's a lot of emphasis on the ways in which they interact with clients or customers right because a lot of that work is done in intimate spaces and done at home uh so there are a lot of behavioral expectations that come on workers that are not put on customers at all right and we heard this in the mobility space as well where you know drivers will say i'm not allowed to rate my customer for example but those transactions are much shorter in a sense uh in the home services space you know we find there's a lot of emphasis on professionalizing workers in a way so that 
they um, act professional, they know how to speak to clients. There's a particular way in which they're looking at female customers, not looking at female customers. So those kinds of very subjective and qualitative assessments um, also have started to kind of uh, wear on the workforce where, uh, especially with COVID where there are you know, much higher guidelines and stipulations on how people interact. Ordinarily, the balance of power in negotiations between employers and individual workers is in favor of employers. When workers negotiate as a group, however, these negotiations are less unfair. Negotiations between employers and such organized groups of workers are a key mechanism for determining the terms and conditions of employment. Usually, the entities that negotiate on behalf of a group or several groups of workers are known as trade unions. The rights of workers to bargain collectively in this fashion is an important one in Indian law. While workers have the fundamental right under the constitution to form trade unions or associations which represent their demands and concerns, there are restrictions on their ability to strike work. The trade union movement in India remains largely divided along political lines. Support for mainstream political parties is reflected in the membership of leading trade unions. The BJP-affiliated Bharatiya Mazdoor Sangh is the largest trade union of India. It is followed by the Congress Party-affiliated Indian National Trade Union Congress and the All India Trade Union Congress affiliated with the Communist Party of India. Mainstream trade unions in India have enjoyed more success in relation to formal work and in many sectors, community-based organizations have enjoyed more success in representing the interests of informal workers. The United Food Delivery Partners Union, of which Vinay Sarathi is the president, is affiliated with the All India United Trade Union Centre, the labour wing of the Social Unity Centre of India, one of India's communist parties. What are the challenges facing gig and platform workers who want to organize? How has the trade union movement fared in representing the interests of gig and platform workers? Organizing in the platform economy is a subject in its own right. So what I'll say about it is that there are certainly obstacles to arriving at a collective worker consciousness in the platform economy because of the atomization and alienation that is kind of inherent in this kind of work relationship where you are just you you are independent and it's just you negotiating with the platform and building solidarities therefore becomes a bit challenging and i think here it's also you one of the places where it's useful to make a distinction between um the two kinds of platform work both of which are mediated through technology but in one, the work is delivered offline, as in the case of Uber, food delivery, logistics, even urban company. But in the other, where the work is also delivered online, such as online crowd work and microtask platforms for clerical data entry jobs. So I think in the former, where the work is delivered offline, um, collective bargaining and unionization has seen a bit more success because workers do have to kind of congregate and like each other's experiences are kind of physically observable by the other. So this has resulted in some success in organizing. For example, the Indian Federation of App-Based Transport Workers um, has recently been attempting and has succeeded uh, in organizing workers in the ride-hailing industry because there is a there is an ability to understand that there are shared concerns that um, transport workers are facing because of technology and it is a more observable phenomena uh, that workers can organize around. 
um, in the pandemic when Swiggy and Zomato arbitrarily slashed workers' incentives and completely altered uh, that structure unilaterally, workers were able to perceive and collectively bargain. There were strikes organized and that also uh, saw some success. Um, in the second uh, type of platform work, where the work is also delivered online, um, I think this becomes a bit more of a challenging task because the worker in this situation is completely atomized from any other workers and um, the, work, the other workers could be as far apart as on the other side of the world, but they could still be performing the exact same kind of task in the exact same kind of environment for the exact same requester who has posted the task. So I think that in that kind of work, organization has historically been um, met with limited success uh, purely because the workers themselves are not able to develop a shared consciousness. बहुत टफ है और संगठन को चलाना और बहुत बड़ा टफ है क्योंकि अभी मैं आपको बोला था कंपनी ने ड्राइवर्स के यूनियंस के बीच में लड़ा के इसका फायदा उठाना चाह रहा था ऐसी ही जो है ये संगठन खड़े करने के लिए बहुत सारा प्रयास करना पड़ता ड्राइवर को अवेयर करना पड़ता डिलीवरी बॉय को अवेयर करना पड़ता to build a union in today's time is very tough. It's even tougher to run it. Companies want to foment disputes between drivers and their unions and take advantage of it. We have to struggle to make drivers and delivery boys aware of their constitutional rights, what they're getting and what they're not getting. Did you know that drivers and delivery boys do not even receive an agreement? Without an agreement, how will they know anything? Companies say they have given agreements, but where and to whom? You put it on your app and unless one clicks, I agree, you do not give a booking. Are these really agreements? Do such agreements work? We can never see a copy of this agreement. Until today, we do not have a copy. Can't the government ask these questions? Uh, you know, a lot of my research has been learning about the labor market as it's existed in India via the platform, right? I find that a very interesting lens to use to say, if our informal economy is so uh, heterogeneous and varied, what does the platform actually show of what it was before, what it is now? So in that sense, uh, you know, a lot of our transport in India does fall, uh, fall under the informal sector with you know, rickshaw drivers, auto drivers, etc. A lot of them having some kinds of informality as part of their working conditions. Um, and the different segments of transport workers have had more power through collectivization, right? So auto unions still hold a lot of weight uh, in many cities, whereas taxi unions, maybe in a couple of cities have a lot more power um, than across the country. So uh, workers have had to navigate all of these kind of challenges because often, uh, you know, the auto union will have a problem with transport, with platform transport workers taking their market. Uh, and then to find a, 
a commonality to find a common space where like that worker identity of being a transport worker rises above all these um, different ways in which companies and, and the traditional sector are kind of playing together is quite complicated. Um, and just to take an example, I think in Bombay, because of the kind of political history um, the city has, there were a lot more attempts there to actually unify Kali Pili drivers, platform drivers, and use that unification as a way to try and get better at these wage conditions uh, and supply conditions out of platform companies. Um, I know that those efforts took place. I'm not sure what fruit they bore, but I thought that, uh, that was one few places I saw, uh, you know, reporting around how um, this kind of a unification can, can, can help build a worker identity. Uh, another really interesting example that doesn't come from India is uh, New York City taxi drivers also had to find, uh, to, to find a way to unify uh, Uber and Lyft drivers with, um, with taxi drivers over the years. So I think that uh, difference is quite important um, in how kind of collectivization within particular sectors can take place. There has been a lot said and written about how the, I mean, the trade union movement is weakening since sort of the onset of like, since the neoliberalization of India. And, uh, and I mean, and, 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 and in the middle of all of this, it's, it's, uh, there's this new sort of uh, variable thrown in, which is of, uh, which is of platform work, right? I think, I mean, over the years, it's going to be, over the coming years, it's going to be like an important force to reckon with 100%. Um, but for, for what do you do in the absence of a factory space, right? It, I mean, of one place where workers can sort of, uh, workers come together to work or where, you know, uh, where collective action, sort of the seeds of collective action may be sown, and for where trade unions can then sort of also sort of work at. So the 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 shifting of the workplace from the side of the factory to both, I think, uh, the sort of uh, uh, digital spaces and what has been called as the atomization of workers. So workers are extremely distant from each other at this point. So I so what all of this does is gives these new kind of firms, these new these new kinds of companies significantly higher amounts of bargaining power in terms of determining the kind of uh, working conditions and terms and conditions of work that um, uh, that workers are being placed through which makes it all the more important for there to be guarantees to to collective action so that is that is one part of it the other is also the misclassification aspect all all over again in india again the i mean uh, the right to form a trade union exists only within those workers who are classified legally as workers now platforms are not doing that either so i think this is uh, this is certainly intentional there's no doubt about it it's there's like there's this nefarious element to it and there is active um and and there is an active appropriation of trade unionism that is happening in northern in, in in sort of in the globe in global north countries as well where um, 
platforms are identifying and funding and, and sort of supporting sympathetic trade unions and trying to sort of trade union wash some of the agreements, some of the industry-wide agreements that they want to be implementing. So, so some of those things are happening um, ha- happening abroad, and uh, and and in India, the 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 challenge of even registering a trade union when it's not like a uh, sort of a recognized industry, so to speak, is um, is it, it, it continues to be persistent. But ha- having said all of that, I think there are some initiatives that have. Uh, that have picked up and are doing pretty well. So one of them, uh, one of them is called IFAD, the Indian Federation of App-Based Transport Workers or Transportation Workers. Uh, one of the two. They are uh, they have a sort of federated model and span which which spans several states uh, states in the country, and they do some of the traditional trade union um, uh, trade union works in terms of putting together demands in terms of. Uh, yeah, organizing strikes and sort of uh, having having sort of demands met, but they're also doing something which is very useful is that being there as a support system for workers, especially uh, and this is something we saw a lot of last year when during this during the first few lockdowns is that uh, when people were grappling to make sense of it when. Uh, uh, no kind of assistance, financial support, or otherwise was available to workers. This is when, um, this is when sort of IFAT, and I and I know about and I talk about IFAT because I've been in because I've been speaking to them for, for, for a while. Also, been sort of helping out a little bit. Is that uh, they were able to sort of gather funds to give up to procure food packets and to sort of have those. Distributed within uh, within uh, within drivers in Telangana and and also other parts of the country as well. So so I think uh, do so I think that this dual function is what uh, I think trade uh, trade unions within this space have to be able to serve. I think uh, it's hard for trade unions to reach out to workers. I think. One of the ways in which they can do it is through, you know, sort of word of mouth again, and uh, again, again, because of because of the absence of this one shared workplace where you can sort of reach out to several people at a time. So that is that continues to be like a big challenge. The other, of course, is uh, is funding support. So that is also like a big, big, uh, uh, big challenge. And membership fees becomes hard. Um, becomes hard to charge especially when you are look when you're working with workers with such low incomes and living in such precarious conditions so so ifat is one model that has come up there are there is uh, there is there's yeah there is conversations happening about uh, gathering uh, yeah sort of platform work focused unions but still again some, most of this is happening in the transportation and logistics sector as well so one thing that has also been said about the trade union movement in India is that it has historically excluded uh, women's participation, and so that and that is something um, that needs to sort of, that needs to be sort of reflected upon and worked on within the kind of newer organization that is happening within uh, within platform work as well. So to be able to look at work that is yeah, as um, to look at domestic and care work, for example. To look at health workers uh, again and increasingly platformized space. So, 
both of these spaces have um, have strong sort of uh, women's participation and to be able to bring those in. So some traditional uh, unions such as DWRU, SEVA, um, they they too are sort of are um, bringing this within their agendas as, as I uh, uh, started talking of earlier. But I think what is also interesting is um, so, so sort of the model of worker cooperatives that is um, that is being experimented with and being thought of. So uh, ways in which sort of the means of production can be owned by workers themselves. So their decision making, their governance. So how can so it is not uh, so one thing to say is that the way in which the venture capital back platformization is happening is has led to some really poor outcomes for workers but which is not to say that the idea of um, mediating work through digital platforms has to be that way so there is so that reimagination of what um, equitable forms of platformization can look like is something that is being thought of and i think unions are in a good i mean particularly traditional unions are in a good place uh, to be able to think through some of these models. So I think uh, there, I think the uh, uh, yeah, collective action needs some kind of a new language to be able to reach out to these workers. It needs to sort of update some of its um, you know, some of its advocacy and outreach, outreach strategies. But things are happening. I think there are some very successful examples uh, in in other jurisdictions as well so so there's a lot to learn from and i um, but i think without the kind of bottom up uh, change that collective action brings brings forth that it, it's it's uh, it's going to be difficult to be able to sort of give the platform economy the kind of um, so, sort of uh, the equitable form that we wanted to take, it's going to be simply impossible without that. We, I mean, in one of the, uh, uh, and the, the, the big challenge here also is that there's no support that is being, that is, uh, that platforms are willing to offer. I think they are, and they are a sort of massive force to contend with, like just uh, to, to give an example from the United States, I think they spent about, Platforms cumulatively put together about like twenty-two million dollars to run uh, a PR against Prop Twenty-Two, which is like one of the, um, uh, which was a proposal to give, um, yeah, give platform workers the kind of employment rights and labor rights that they should that they should be getting. Amazon has a long and sort of checkered history of. Uh, Funneling enormous amounts of money into anti-trade union and uh, anti-trade union work and sort of trade union busting lawyers and so on. So they're a big force to contend with. There's absolutely no doubt about it. But um, so, so uh, and which then makes the kind of top-down change through, let's say, government policy harder. I mean, they uh, simply because of the discursive power and the financial power that platforms hold, they the kind of access they may be able to have and inform sort of regulatory and policy sort of conversations is far superior. So I think, uh, which makes it, which makes the kind of bottom up grassroots uh, based collective action type of change, all the more sort of 
urgent and and relevant in the context of the platform economy what concerns platform workers should concern workers as a whole because technology and in this conversation we have spoken about uh, technology in the context of gig and platform work but platformization is now a phenomenon that is cannot be studied in a silo it is something that affects um, sectors across the economy with the growth of um, agri tech platforms for example agricultural data all of it is now coming under the uh, coming under the arms of big data machine learning artificial intelligence and this is going to completely transform the way work is uh, undertaken in the next 100 years and that is the future of work agenda that uh, labor researchers are looking to understand at the moment so we can no longer look at platform work or technology mediated work in a silo it is no longer a sector in its own but it is a sector transcendental phenomenon and i think that this agenda needs to be recognized by unions uh, from all over the world whether it's a domestic workers union negotiating with uh, urban claps uh, introduction into um, the domestic work market or whether it's a garment workers union who has to now negotiate with automation and sue bots capturing um, uh, jobs in a sector that women are uh, disproportionately represented in so i think that unions must recognize how technology is set to disrupt work for all worker constituencies and not just platform work not just platform workers however having said that platform workers do have certain unique concerns that deserve scrutiny from the state as well as union action and i think that um data rights remains the most crucial uh, part of it when we talk about data rights we often view it through the lens of freedom from surveillance privacy personal data protection and in the absence of a personal data protection law in india certainly these are extremely valid concerns that put work workers privacy in an extremely vulnerable state but having said that data is also like i said before the logic of accumulation in the platform economy and as an economic resource workers must also have economic rights over data and this is the new discourse that is emerging in digital rights activists and labor researchers as well which is how to socialize and redistribute the economic value of data what are the stewardship models that will enable workers to have access to and reap the economic gains over the data that they produce for platform companies it is their data after all it is laboring data so i think that um data rights if we look at it from both these angles and then it will enable us to arrive at a more holistic understanding of other workplace parameters for the platform economy including fair wages collective bargaining occupational safety and um industrial relations more generally platform companies are almost infinitely more powerful than the individual worker that power rests in part on the opaque algorithms that allocate and incentivize work and the segregation of workers in their separate workspaces this power imbalance has skewed even further as platforms increase their control over how people access some types of work ek chhota sa problem ke wajah se drivers ki id block ho jati ek chote se problem ke taraf se delivery boy ki id block ho jati aur us for a small problem the id of a driver or a delivery person gets blocked it remains blocked for years and sometimes even for a lifetime what is the remedy for someone who has paid 10 lakh rupees to buy a car 
or one lakh rupees to buy a bike. I want to ask the government too, have you ever called a company and asked any of these questions? After so many years, what developments have happened in these companies? You should conduct surveys to find out how many people are happy with you. I will tell you, I have proof. Uh, I, I don't, as of uh, as far as my knowledge goes, in this food delivery partners field, there are no much unions. I've heard of one association, some welfare association kind of uh, organization. But uh, classical trade union kind of a thing, I think uh, in Karnataka, we are the uh, lone representative of the food delivery partner boys. So, uh, we try to organize uh, I mean, uh, I don't know if you know the organization of uh, the food delivery partners. Like, they will have uh, different locations. In Suki, they call it locations. In uh, uh, Zomato, they call it hubs. So, in different hubs, uh, they will be... Uh, in different hubs, we try to go and we try to conduct hub-wise meetings, uh, bring in awareness among them. Oh, we are. Uh, we want to in the, in the future course. We want to organize uh, the uh, rapido workers or any other gig workers. Uh, there are. Uh, I mean, in the urban company, if you see, it covers a lot many workers. So, or the. Um, I mean, I told you the bike taxi, taxi kind of a thing, or the Ola Uber kind of a workers so we do want to organize them because uh, it comes under the uh, common uh, canvas uh, their problems are in the uh, common canvas so we would wish to organize them uh, but uh, since october 2019 or uh, september august 2019 we have been trying to organize them 2019 uh, october was our first convention so we do want to uh, go for a higher movement actually in, we we had planned it during the last December uh, but it did not work out because of various other reasons and then suddenly uh, the corona pandemic flared up also IPL came in between so IPL is the time when these workers earn a bit uh, uh, some amount of money some good amount of money so it would be uh, it would not be a good idea to distract them from uh, during that time. So that is what we felt. So when we go to these hubs and uh, we conduct hub hub-wise meetings or the location-wise meetings, there we uh, uh, try and say convince our line, and also we uh, bring in awareness among them for them to get organized and raise the demands in an organized way. So when we do that. Um, uh, these workers, they get organized, and they get uh, become members. Uh, this has been happening. Um, I think within the cloud, so cloud platform space, this obviously gets far more complicated because if you can imagine, you know, um, a platform uh, like Amazon Mechanical Turk, uh, which is one of the world's largest cloud work platforms, where you know millions of workers are bidding against each other for prices as low as like 10 cents to do a certain task. Um, it's very difficult to actually um, build a consciousness there and build a, you know, a commonality or even learn about other workers there. 
So the platform sector in itself offers quite different conditions for how this kind of collectivization can, can form. But definitely because transport workers also have a particular history to them uh, and there have been you know, unions within the space and efforts to unionize transport workers in India for many years, um, there has been this yeah, kind of collective consciousness forming there. I mean, I think the challenges start from the fact that not all workers are employed the same way as many uh, platform mediated work is offered as full employment. It's not like it's not. Many of the B2B logistics companies that are working across the country, working in very remote areas or opening up markets in that sense or opening up geographical spaces uh, actually do offer full-time work to people. There are food delivery companies, uh, sorry, cloud kitchens also that uh, do offer full-time employment. Uh, with a chance of mobility in the sense of, you know, you can go from being a delivery person to being a cloud kitchen manager within a few years or within a year or two. So the, 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 the spectrum of working conditions is actually quite different and quite large. And so not all workers are under the same working conditions in that sense. There is a lot easier to try and make those kind of um, broad generalizations across Uber and Ola um, as on-demand transport, but not in the same way with, with the delivery space. So for just to give some examples, Big Basket offers a lot of full-time work and they offer full-time work to people who have you know, graduated at least uh, 10th class or 12th class. Uh, there are many companies who are starting to look into creating affordable housing uh, for their workers. These are projects that will take place in the future if they come to fruition. But I know, um, uh, you know, so there are a lot of these variations in how uh, workers are treated by companies, which creates a very interesting space actually to try and collectivize and to find that worker identity. Um, because of course, you know, this work is meant to have some kind of independence around it, but two, there are also different many kinds of working conditions. Um, and three, I believe across the country, these kind of these things vary geographically. Um, so there are quite a few challenges within the delivery space to actually create that kind of an identity. I think within the food delivery space, there's much more scope um, because again, it's dominated by two companies. Um, and so the understanding the world of those two companies is much easier. Um, I, at IT for Change, we recently undertook a study of um, micro-task workers, uh, all of them women. And uh, one thing that was quite interesting uh, and that we were able to observe from our research is the fact that all of the workers report feeling completely alone. They don't, they don't have the ability to collectively bargain. And so what they use is they use um, hacks and they use Reddit forums and extensions and stuff like that in order to game the system and try to arrive at some kind of solidarity. Um, there's a website called Turk Opticon where workers rate requesters, for example, who post certain tasks. And uh, here you have like a geographically dispersed pool of workers that come together online to try to kind of build some kind of resistance to platform tyranny. So I think um, the kind of platform work that workers perform 
also to some extent dictates the kind of organizing and the kind of resistance that they are able to participate in. And um, that's what we are seeing. So traditional union activities have kind of been out of reach for workers who perform and deliver their work completely online. But even in that scenario, they have managed to find um, other ways of building solidarities with each other. Well, this has been a challenge for us because uh, the company instructs these workers not to uh, talk between themselves. Seniors, I mean, uh, the new entrants, uh, juniors who come, they are told not to talk to juniors, uh, I mean, uh, talk to their seniors who are there in the field. So, uh, they don't exchange words. So many a times, uh, Swiki people will not know the uh, Somato workers who are there in the same location, say in Rajajinagara. Uh, one of the locations in Bangalore, uh, there is a restaurant called Al Albeck. So, at that uh, place itself, both Swiki, Zomato, all the guys gather. Sometimes we find that uh, these workers are not acquainted uh, to one another. Uh, that is because the company instructs this way. So, and sometimes you get long distance orders where you, tra you travel to uh, longer distances. So there, uh, these people, uh, they don't uh, talk to themselves. They are not that way uh, much organized in what you say, in, uh, classical kind of a factories. They are uh, under one roof. Their problems are uh, well discussed among themselves. But uh, in this case, it's quite different. Though their problems are common, uh, they don't. Uh, much in some uh, places that we have observed, uh, there is a good rapport between these uh, food delivery partners. They work with uh, much cohesion, uh, such things happen. But uh, both scenario, scenarios are there, wherein they mingle very nicely sometimes. Also, they are uh, alienated, some uh, groups are there. I mean, when they sit for uh, tea, coffee, they discuss, but this is not a very regular kind of thing. This happens. This has been the challenge for us. Usually what happens in some places, uh, in, in the locations that we go, there will be generally uh, organizer kind of people over there. They try to organize. Uh, people. I mean, some people will have uh, hold upon... Uh, these uh, workers, some senior uh, person or a person of the, I mean, uh, localite, he'll have a, a kind of a grip over the uh, workers. So, some people will listen to them, that kind of things happen. Uh, so, when we go over there, uh, these workers themselves tell, sir, he is a senior man, you can meet him, or he is a man well known in the locality. So you can meet him, he will guide you through. So this way it happens. You're listening to the Nagrik Podcast. All our episodes are available for free on all major podcasting platforms. If you like this episode, please share it with a friend or a colleague. It really is the best way that Nagrik can keep doing its work. In a previous episode, we dealt extensively with home-based work in India, which is marked by very little remuneration, irregular incomes, unregulated hours of work, no social security and poor conditions of health. Like home-based workers, 
the vast majority of Indian workers are not part of any formal relationship of employment with a single identifiable employer. They have little or no legal protection and the companies that benefit from their work do not have any obligations under Indian labor law. A large number of gig and platform workers work under similar conditions and their unions have to navigate a similarly unregulated space. The basic thing that we feel is uh, uh, no labor laws are applicable in this field uh, as far as the law is concerned. None of the laws are applicable. They don't uh, recognize the food delivery partners or the gig workers as uh, workers at all. That has been a main hurdle. So uh, to recognize their uh, services and to recognize them as workmen is the uh, foremost important thing. Otherwise, you go and ask the company uh, anything and everything. They have their own uh, theory. They will say, see, you are all partners. You are all uh, aggregators. That mean, we are aggregators. We are a platform company. Uh, we just provide the software platform. They have their own arguments. Uh, there we feel, okay, fine. Uh, uh, government should regulate this business. Unless until that... Uh, the negotiations with the company may, may not yield fruits. Uh, uh, the rights of the workers can be ensured only through uh, this channel, where the labor department interferes, where the government interferes, where the interests of the workers have been suppressed. There, people will have to uh, pitch in and uh, take appropriate measures. So, that is what they have been insisting upon. But the extremely disruptive nature of uh, technology in the labor market has spawned um, like concerns that are so radical that new union activity has emerged as the vanguard to take on these concerns. The Indian Federation of App-Based Transport Workers is a good example of this regard. Uh, the All India IT and ITS Employees Union has also done a lot of work in trying to uh, bring on board the concerns of gig and online freelancers and uh, the kind of uh, uh, the kind of support that they require from unions and organizing and have onboarded that as well. Uh, we now have the All India Gig Workers Union, which is um, exactly what it sounds, a union to organize the concerns of uh, gig and platform workers. Um, we have been working with the, with a new union in Telangana, the Telangana Gig and Platform Workers Union, also to help them galvanize support for um, I think essentially platform workers have emerged as the vanguard of uh, labor rights as we go further and deeper into the 21st century. And I think that the um, disruptive nature of technology on their working lives and the concerns that it spawns and uh, data being one of them uh, has meant that uh, traditional unions have been able to support to some extent, but the divergence sometimes is stark enough that other and new unions have emerged to take on the concerns that these worker constituencies they uh, face specifically. However, having said that, I think that um, going ahead, uh, we need as much solidarity as we can get from existing unions working in traditional labor markets, as well as um, unions working in the gig and platform sector specifically to come together and evolve a collaborative agenda because like i said before the pathways out of pre-existing real economic conditions and how they intersect with the platform economy uh, deserves uh, scrutiny and deserves attention from union organizing as well four-wheeler drivers association 2014 may bana founder state president home ye hire vehicles ke liye kaam karta 
और आउटसोर्सिंग कॉन्ट्रैक्ट ड्राइवर के लिए काम करता और घर पे ड्राइवर के लिए काम करता The four wheeler drivers association was founded in 2014. I was its founder state president. It used to work for hire vehicles, for outsourced drivers and drivers who worked at homes. वो पूरे पैन इंडिया लेवल में मैं उसका जनरल सेक्रेटरी हूं नेशनल जनरल सेक्रेटरी हूं उसका. पूरे पैन इंडिया लेवल में जितने भी ओला लेटर वी फॉर्म द इंडियन फेडरेशन ऑफ एप बेस्ड ट्रांसपोर्ट वर्कर्स. वी कॉल इट आईफैट. उसके अंदर बहुत सारे डिलीवरी बॉयज भी जुड़ने लगे और बहुत सारे सेक्टर्स भी जुड़ने लगे जितने भी ऐप रिलेटेड काम कर रहे वो सारे जो है तेलंगाना आईफेड के अमरेला के नीचे काम कर रहे और रही बात उसके बाद में आई एम इट्स नेशनल जनरल सेक्रेटरी एक ही अमरेला के वी ट्राई टू ब्रिंग ऑल ओला और ऊबर ड्राइवर्स यूनियंस इन इंडिया अंडर वन अमरेला A lot of delivery boys and other workers in other sectors of app-based work also started joining this union. After that, I also tried to organize these groups together inside Telangana, and that became the Telangana State Taxi and Drivers Joint Action Committee, for which 20 unions and associations came together. कामयाब था कि पूरी इंडिया के अंदर वो देखने का नजारा मिला और रही बात इसके साथ साथ जब मेरे दिमाग में अगले आने वाले दस साल के ऊपर मेरी कॉन्सेंट्रेशन Keeping in mind our objectives for the next ten years, I also launched three months ago the Telangana Gig and Platform Workers Union. This union is for all the gig and platform workers, including those who do freelance work, piece work, women who perform domestic labour, dhobis, and plumbers. Like, बहुत सारे freelancers पे काम करते, piece work काम करते, ठीक है, और जो घर पे महिला लोग खाना पकाने जाते. जो धोबी भाई ये हमारा घर पे पीस वाइज इस्तेरी करने जाते इट विल ट्राई टू ब्रिंग टुगेदर दोस हु वर्क फॉर ओला ऊबर जोमैटो स्विगी डंजो फ्लिपकार्ट शैडो फैक्स एंड सो मेनी अदर कंपनीज इन सो मेनी सेक्टर्स अंडर वन अंब्रेला इन तेलंगाना रिसेंटली 3 महीने हुआ बर्थ लेके अंडर द प्रोसेस में है रजिस्ट्रेशन प्रोसेस में अब रही बात इसके अंदर तारीख में अगले आने वाले दिनों को नजर में रखते हुए गीग एंड प्लेटफॉर्म वर्कर्स का यूनियन जो है रिप्रेजेंट करने का मेरे दिल दिल और दिमाग में आया देयर आर 12 पीपल इन द मेन स्ट्रक्चर ऑफ आवर ऑर्गेनाइजेशन देयर आर अदर्स हु हैंडल सेपरेट सेक्टर्स सच एज फ्रीलांसर्स प्लंबर्स डोमेस्टिक वर्कर्स अमेजन जोमैटो एटसेट्रा उसके हिसाब से बाकी के लोग जो है अपने-अपने क्षेत्र में जैसे कि फ्रीलांसर्स के लिए बहुत सारे 
अमेजोन का अलग ग्रुप रहेगा ठीक है जोमेटो स्विग्वी ऐसा जितने भी प्लेटफॉर्म्स है डिलीवरी प्लेटफॉर्म एक साइड रहेगा ड्राइवर्स प्लेटफॉर्म एक साइड रहेगा फ्रीलांसर्स वाले एक साइड रहेंगे ई कॉमर्स वाले एक साइड रहेंगे ये सब कुछ जो है यूनियन के अंदर कैटेगरीज बना के रखी क्योंकि जो कैटेगरी का इशू है वो इफ देयर इज एन इशू इन वन कैटेगरी वी कैन टेक दैट अप विद द कंपनी और विद द गवर्नमेंट एंड परहैप्स इवन एट अ नेशनल एंड इंटरनेशनल लेवल तो इतना आसान तरीका मैं ये बना के रखा हूं because of covid we are not able to go out after covid the registration will be complete panels will be formed and state wise committees and district wise committees will be formed we jam jayenge aur committees bhi jo hai state wise committees district wise committees bhi ban jayenge um the worker info exchange works very closely on this it's a union based in the united kingdom and they have been filing requests under the gdpr for access to workers data which of course access to data is one thing and they are filing it under privacy protections but access to that data opens up a whole swathe of economic opportunities for workers um, the denver taxi co-op for example is a taxi cooperative in denver that is wholly owned by workers themselves it is run by workers and i think worker cooperatives can also emerge as an attractive um, uh, option for the future because it combines traditional cooperative benefits for workers that we have historically seen uh with uh data and technology and refashions them for that purpose so there are certainly initiatives to this regard apti institute for example uh is also a think tank working on these issues um looks at data stewardship models and uh which one of them could be best fashioned for workers rights um christina kolkloff is a researcher based in the united kingdom who also um runs a uh, collective bargaining on workers data rights such as weclock and uh yeah so there are several attractive options and promising endeavors for the future and i think the challenge for labor researchers and digital rights activists and workers also is to um Uh, develop a collaborative agenda for uh, putting control of data and therefore uh, workplace autonomy back in the hands of workers dekhiye meeting ab jo hai every 15 days to zoom meeting chal rahi chal rahi kyunki physical meetings nahi rehne ki wajah se zoom meetings jo hai hum continuously kar rahe every 15 days ko aur drivers ke delivery boys ke halat jo hai jaise ki hum agar jab aap dekh rahe honge जब हम लोग ग्राउंड पे काम नहीं करते यहाँ पे एक चीज आपको बताना क्योंकि jab ground pe kaam only a leader who works on the ground will understand the challenges every 15 days we update ourselves on the conditions of the workers delivery boys e-commerce workers and domestic workers ki kya halat hai drivers ke kya halat hai delivery boy ke kya halat hai e-commerce ke kya halat hai apne jo mahila jo ghar pe kaam kar rahi domestic workers based on the outcomes of these meetings we form our demands and take them to the government the electronic and print media and the companies meeting se jo outcomes nikal ke aate wo outcome ko leke hum ek demands banate wo demand jo hai 
गवर्नमेंट तक इलेक्ट्रॉनिक प्रिंट मीडिया तक लेके जाती है जब कंपनीज का इशू आया तो भी कंपनीज तक भी लेके जाती है ये जो प्रक्रिया है ऐसी चल रही है वी हैव अ एग्जीक्यूटिव कमेटी फंक्शनिंग एग्जीक्यूटिव कमेटी वी ब्रिंग अप एजेंडास वी डिस्कस विद द all the executive committee members and then we try to bring in the decision in a collective manner uh, which is the best suited and uh, which can act best safeguard the workers interest so uh, only after discussing uh, we come to decisions and uh, these decisions are carried out so we go ahead even before we approaching them there have been uh, movements across uh, across the city in bangalore they have been raising demands when there have been uh, when there has been uh, uh, incentive cards rate cards such things happen they uh, get organized that has been going on so in that way our efforts have been uh, reduced so um, many of the uh, leaders in our organization when we this is how we have met them we have gone to them uh, some seniors or some people who are organizer kind of uh, people uh, who in the particular locations say in kormangla one of our important leader uh, shrinivas he is uh, so he in a way knows the uh, most of the delivery workers in that area and most of them are acquainted to him so and that way uh, similarly uh, in electronic city and various other locations uh, we have been uh, able to uh, try and get organizers and then w- w- when we started discussing with them uh, we had some initial idea but uh, also getting into the ground reality we realized uh, uh, i mean uh, these demands that we have been raising these are all collectively framed uh, it is not uh, one person or few people dictating upon some others this is not it uh, way it has been going uh, going into the ground reality discussing with them uh, with the food delivery partners uh, there these decision these demands have been uh, raised what to consider as i mean the food delivery partners as workers and then uh, i as i told you uh, to announce relief package these things what we have been uh, demanding these are all have been uh, these demands have been evolved collectively this is how we go ahead in march of 2021 the telangana state taxi and drivers joint action committee led by sheikh salauddin announced that 35000 taxis had participated in a black flag cab march a symbolic protest where taxis offered their services but with black flags to highlight the fact that even amidst rising fuel prices the app based cab aggregators uber and ola had not increased the base rates for drivers in may the united food delivery partners union under the leadership of vinay sarathi held an online protest that urged the state government for a financial relief package vaccination on priority and the provision of masks sanitizers and face shields we've heard from both leaders on this episode of the nagrik podcast as they advocate for greater fairness in these new ways of organizing work mostly they deal with many of the same issues that informal workers in india struggle with such as low earnings and income volatility limited access to social protection and limited access to remedies under law at all times however they operate from a position of relative powerlessness where platform algorithms harvest the data of workers and shapes work in ways that are completely invisible to workers and limits their autonomy 
That brings us to the end of this episode. Thanks once again to our guests Sheikh Salauddin, Vinay Sarathi, Sadhana Sanjay, Aishrathi, and Aditi Suri. My name is Ajju John, and I thank you for listening to the Nagrik Podcast.